What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another exciting episode of FedWatch. My name is Ansel Lindner, and I am here, as always, with my co-host, CK. How are you doing, CK? Feeling doing good, you? man. Yes, sir. 100% better. Back in the office. Excited to talk. Global macro and Bitcoin. We got some pop in the Bitcoin price. Oh, Love yeah. Love to see it. Oh, yeah. We got tons to talk about. I wanted to spend a good bit of time today talking about China again, because I think it is one of the biggest geopolitical events of this generation. Maybe the rise of China was one of the biggest geopolitical events or happenings of the last generation. And now we're going to see the fall of China. We've been talking about that for a long time, but I wanted to go through some extensive clips. So that's going to be a big segment of today's show. Also go through a ton of charts. We have, of course, the Bitcoin breakout. We have stuff to talk about with the dollar, energy markets, yields, all sorts of stuff. So we'll hit on that. So a wide ranging show. Yeah, no, absolutely. Want to give a quick shout out. Get your copy of Bitcoin Magazine. Subscribe to the newest issue, the Orange Party issue. We are going to be shipping out next week. So get hyped for it. So go get your subscription today and uh, go and go get a Bitcoin conference ticket. So ticket prices are going up in a couple of weeks. We are almost just 200 days away from the next Bitcoin conference in Miami. I'm really excited for it. The details are starting to really get fleshed out. And we have a lot of awesome speakers that are going to be start announcing moving forward. So programming, branding, vibes, it's all coming together. It's going to be huge. We've already sold thousands of tickets. So use code BM Live for both of those. But yeah, Ansel, we got we to gotta jump into the charts. A lot to dig into. All right. Well, right before we do that, I just say, everybody, you guys got to join my Telegram channel. I do five days a week of live stream. So if you want to get more of this type of stuff, like we're going to be covering today, go check out t.me for slash Bitcoin and markets. All right. Yeah. Let's get into the first chart here, Chris. Can we pull up the Bitcoin? This is why we're all here, guys. Everything revolves around the Bitcoin price. If it was going to zero, then no, this community would be zero as well. So CK, what are you thinking about this, this little pop in the price? Is this a real breakout? Are we seeing this pattern actually come to fruition or is this a fake out? It's tough to tell, honestly, <laughs> but we did call, you know, this trend line here last week on the show. We were hovering right under Ansel's line. Ansel did not move the line, but we broke up. So we said that we it could either go up or down. I've been kind of calling a, a breakdown personally. I just still think that things could get more bearish. But sometimes when I get bearish on the immediate price, uh, maybe that's the <laughs> indicator. So yeah, I, I still think it's a little early to say this is a breakout. But you know, if we continue to smash forward into the weekend, who knows? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the fundamentals are really behind this move, I think. But the one thing that makes me kind of conservative here on calling it a real breakout is the volume just has not come in to support this move. So if you look at all the spot exchanges, there's really not a big spike in volume or anything that usually accompanies these breakouts. So just be careful if people are trading and they're going to go all in on a long or something just be careful at this section because we don't have every confirmation ticked yet and we'll see how this develops over the next couple of days anything else to add there on the price ck people are trolling me saying that i'm not bullish enough i i'm very very <laughs> bullish it's just you know it's it's tough to to make calls on the immediate price so when you try to do that try to be accurate guys yeah what's the saying never name a price and a time right so if you do that, you're almost guaranteed to be incorrect. And that's why I think plan B was ultimately so <laughs> castigated from the community because he tried to call prices and times and that's a big no, no. But anyway, yeah, I, I'm excited to see where this goes in the future, in the near future. Should the we best move we on can to do is be directly correct. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's going up long-term, right? If you, if, you, if you've been bullish, you've been more right than wrong over the last five years. So, okay, let's move on to some currencies. So the next slide we just have, next few slides, I'm going to talk about the dollar. So of course, we've been talking about a strong dollar here on the show all the way back, probably into COVID. And then we had the, the dollar continue to trend downward as this chart is showing uh, into the new year, bottomed around the first of January, first week of January, and has been pretty much 
only up since then. The green line here is the DXY, which is heavily weighted towards the euro and the yen and the bigger currencies out there, the, the pound as well. And the black line is the broad trade weighted dollar, which includes more than 30 currencies. Importantly, it includes the Chinese yuan and the Me Mexican peso. Those I think are very important to put in there when you're talking about the dollar. But as you can see, they're both going up dramatically. The broad one is not going up as dramatically, but then they're both kind of ticking over. If you can see that at the very top, they're both kind of curling over and this could be the correction we've been waiting for. So if you go to the next slide, Chris, again, I've been talking about a strong dollar for a long time. We have been talking about a strong dollar for a long time. And one thing is when it was breaking into new highs, uh, I took the Fibonacci retracement tool out and I looked at the extension line and that's the common extension line is the 1618. And so that gave me a target around 112, 113 for this move. And I talked about that probably in June, July time this year on this show. So you can go back and look at some of those earlier episodes to hear that. But we hit we hit that target. I mean, we surpassed 114. And now I think, you know, this is a good time for a correction. Nothing goes up in a straight line, not even Bitcoin. And so we a correction is bound to happen at some point. And the, the wrecking ball dollar, like everybody just started talking about the wrecking ball. And so that tells me it's time for a correction. If everyone's jumping onto that side of the trade and last dollar chart I have here is the next one. This is just zooming in and you can see this just collapse over the last couple of days, breaking pattern support, breaking horizontal support, breaking all sorts of support. So I could see this moving another 10% down you know, down to the 102, 103, something in that range. I don't know, but it is, I think we shouldn't expect the dollar to go really high, really fast, right? If, if you look back, actually, if you could go back, Chris, to the last one, slide number three. I, I want to unpack that a little bit more but after your next point. Okay. So you can see from 2017, and if you go back a little bit further, it's actually like 2016 into 2021, we have this horizontal range between 90 and hundred, basically. And I think we're going to see another period like that, where we set a new higher range, whether that is 105 to 115, or whether that's 110 to 120, some, something like that. We're going to set a higher range. We're going to bounce around in that for a couple of years, maybe four or five years, and then we're going to go to the next leg up. That's how I interpret. The reason why I say that is because I'm interpreting the long-term credit cycle of you know dollars, the dollar-based credit system that we have today and how it dies and it dies in these stair step fashions you know nothing is going to die all at the same time so it's got to go through these stair steps and that's why i'm calling for a new range up here roughly where we're at okay christian i'll shut up for a second what do you got buddy so i wanted to unpack why you you're you're saying you're kind of documenting or trying to like explain the natural way that the dollar dies can you talk to me yeah. about like the the mechanisms that are going to kind of sustain the dollar at a, a flat period because it does feel like the things that made the dollar strong and rip upwards like that's mm -hmm. not slowing down right debts are gonna people are still scrapping for dollars and it, it seems like uh, it's the only currency market that is not in complete chaos so i'm kind of curious you know fundamentally why outside of just the chart why do you think the dollar is going to range for a while well i think it's it goes in phases you know when there's acute dollar stress so it's there's a huge a dollar shortage and these banks can't get access to dollars to pay their debts once the worst of the worst go bankrupt get defaulted on or they get a bailout then there's a period of calm because that the worst of the worst has been alleviated or liquidated. And so then it takes a while, a little bit of reflation, a little bit of recovery until the next shoe drops. And that was the next marginal players that are in the worst shape that they get into acute trouble. So it takes a little bit, you know, each really intense phase of dollar shortage will be followed by a slight recovery because it's just not as bad. Right. And then it goes on to the next step. Does that answer the question? Yeah, I think it does. You know, obviously, like you said, nothing goes up forever. And there is a lot of human psychology that kind of 
goes into how decisions are made in mass, right? How the market kind of coalesces around something. So it does make sense, but I would be, I would be interested to see, you know, what happens again in the short run and, and kind of how the news and all this other stuff affects sentiment. Yeah, I mean, there's always these big news events that happen. Of course, we just lived through the the UK stuff. Whether there there's smoldering under the surface and that will reemerge, you know, in a in a breakout fire, we'll have to see. The China stuff, I'm I'm very interested in how this is going to work because we saw the Chinese stock markets really sell off. I don't have a, a chart of that, but the Chinese markets really sell off, sold off the Hong Kong index, the tech sector had their worst day ever. I believe in the history of the Hong Kong stock exchange, it went down 8% in a day. Some big companies like Alibaba and Baidu, they went down 15% in one day. So there is like this, I, it feels like an exodus of capital. There's a big capital flight maybe starting to take place in China. How does that affect Western markets? How does that affect Bitcoin? I think that could be a huge bid under Bitcoin in for capital flight, you know, like the best way to get money out of the country is, of course, Bitcoin. It's safer than almost anything else. Even if you have family members abroad, uh, say in Canada and you buy a bunch of land or something, I mean, even that can it has at least they can track it. You know, they can find you and they can know what you did with the money. But with Bitcoin, it's it's a lot easier to hide it. It's a lot easier to get it out, move it anywhere in the world. You're not just limited to, you know, certain jurisdictions. So. Yeah. What do you think about uh, the Chinese stock market and putting a bid under Bitcoin? I mean, you have been kind of forecasting this dynamic for a while with Europe and that breakdown. We saw Bitcoin volume spike in the UK when they were having, you know, kind of like moments of extreme fear. So I think that this kind of mechanism for Bitcoin is only going to continue to increase. That's Bitcoin's obvious utility. And, you know, to, to talk about what's wrong with with china you know we've been talking about china is not business or even human individual friendly on any level really so what is stopping the most talented from fleeing right on top of that they don't have spot exchanges or anything like that within their jurisdiction directly with their currency so all of the volume is p2p so it's a lot more difficult to kind of just get a quick chart and and map the increases in volumes. We really, we don't know how this is affecting Bitcoin prices as much as we knew about it when it came to the UK, the recent UK crisis. Absolutely. And I mean, the demand over there is staggering. We, the last kind of wave of money or capital flight out of China that we saw was in 2016 and 2017. And what happened then, right? That, so put a huge bid under Bitcoin at that time. Also, we saw most of the trading volume was in China, that there is some debate whether that trading volume was wash trading or how much was actual legitimate trading, but upwards of 95% of trading volume for Bitcoin was on Chinese exchanges back at that time. So that, I mean, the, the market has changed, the regulations within China have changed. So there, there is, uh, and the, geez, the political atmosphere and the business atmosphere in China has changed. So there, everything is different today. Has it gotten worse to be where there'd be a bigger bid under Bitcoin? We'll have to wait and see, I guess. I mean, G's speech during the Congress was defense, defense, defense. And in the past, it was always the main objective was like profits and wealth and markets is to, to, to increase that capacity within China. So we've been mm-hmm. noting for a long time on this show that change in sentiment and policy and action, and it was very stark, the attacks on the tech sector earlier this year and last year, and now it is continuing you know, seep into the rhetoric. So it seems as though for the first time in a long time, the, the overarching ethos, at least from the top-line leadership, is changing. And that's bad for business, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's bad for business if you don't want to keep all your capital there. I mean, geez. The, but let's let's try to hit some of these other charts here. I don't want to run out of time because I think that stuff about China, the videos that we have here, the video clips at the end, I think are extremely important. So here is right, let's um, run through the charts and then and then we can spend more time on China. All right. So this is it looks like an inverse of the DXY, doesn't it? But it's the the euro. 
and you can see it broke past parity again. So now it's up above one to one. Very interesting. Next slide is the Japanese yen. And this looks inverse because the fraction is inverse. So this is 150 or 146 yen per dollar. And you can see it also looks like it could have put in a top and is coming down. So both the euro and the yen look to be strengthening against the dollar over the last week. And that will, of course, make the DXY come down. But this is interesting, too, because, you know, a strong dollar, we would say, would be bad for Bitcoin in a way, right? But what about a strong yen? Why isn't a strong yen bad for Bitcoin in in Japan? And why isn't a strong euro bad for Bitcoin in Europe? I think it takes a little bit deeper thinking. And it's not just as easy as saying, like, a strong dollar is bad for Bitcoin. But I don't want to get hung up on that too much. Let's go to the, the Chinese yuan. <laughs> oh, everything is good for Bitcoin, Ansel. True. You're, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so this is the Chinese yuan. And these two big red candles recently, I believe, were intervention. If you look at the first one at the end of September, it fell dramatically. And then it had a period of about a week where it just didn't trade. So it definitely looks like there was some intervention going on there. And then as soon as that intervention stopped, the you know, like the freezing of the market stopped, that trend just resumed as, it, as if it was still going on. So I think the trend to, for the Chinese yuan is lower on this chart that would be higher so more yuan per dollar and then just today it looks like there was some intervention in the chinese towers to really push this exchange rate to strengthen the yuan which is interesting you know if they want to up their exports the common like economic understanding if you want to increase your exports you want to weaken your currency that makes your exports cheaper compared to the rest of the world but in this case the big mammoth exporter that is china is strengthening their currency with intervention so it, it kind trying of trying to <laughs> yeah trying to it's it speaks a little to some desperation but that's all the currencies i have should i just keep on going yeah let's keep ripping through it all right so the next chart up is the s p 500 you guys know if you've been watching the show i am a relative stock market bull because I think it's correlated with Bitcoin right now. Bitcoin's going up and, and the stock market is going to go up. I thought the bottom was in June, but it made marginally lower lows, bounced right off a perfect level back there in 2020 and is recovering right now. So it is kind of a precarious time right now. If if it the bounce doesn't continue at this point for the stock market, we could roll back over. And that that could be correlated with this lack of volume that we're seeing in the Bitcoin price or in the Bitcoin chart. So perhaps this is a false bounce. Perhaps, perhaps this is a false breakout in Bitcoin and we'll just have to watch that quickly. All right. Next, next chart is this is the three month 10 year inversion. We've been watching yields on the show off and on. Uh, of course, the two and 10 is kind of the most popular spread to watch, to call a, an inversion in the yield curve. But this one is the one that people say is, oh, this is very important to the Fed, is the three-month tenure. And you can notice that yesterday, it did it, intraday, it went below, it did invert. But today, it's also inverted only by three bips. But that is an inversion, and that is saying something big. If you go to the next chart, this is kind of like my rainbow chart of yields. I tried to label what they were here. So the, the green line on top right now is the six-month. Then it goes two-year, five-year, three-month peaking above the 10-year. And then that one on the bottom is the four-week. I also highlighted the proposed, if the Fed is going to raise by 75 basis points, that is the new range up there at 3.75 to 4%. And you can see the 10-year is sitting right at 4.02%. So as I've been saying, the Fed will raise rates as long as they can, as long as the market expects them to as long as the market gives them room to raise well if the tenure is falling through where the fed target is supposed to be that tells me that the market <laughs> doesn't believe the fed is going to raise or i don't know if the fed will raise into that condition because they don't want to lose face and say oh we raised rates but the tenure kept falling so i think that's all of my currency charts so what do you got to say for those christian well, I think the last one is is the one we got to stick on a little bit longer because you've been talking about this dynamic for a long time. And I keep asking you to tease it out more 
but it's really this this idea that the Fed was not raising rates, the market was increased, rates within the market was going up, and that allowed for the Fed to push that narrative forward that they were doing that. And if the market then now lowers rate because of real market dynamics, the Fed could push their narrative, but at some point they have no choice but to chase reality and, and try to get the narrative to reaccommodate reality. Did I, did I kind of break that down accurately? And how, what would you add to that? If rates are rising and the Fed is raising rates, you know, this reinforces this mythology around the omnipotent Fed that they can do whatever they set their mind to, they can accomplish. And so they, then their narrative gets even more and more power. But if the rates stop listening to them, if the narrative is losing power, the Fed has no choice but to follow what the rates are doing, what the market is doing. So as you can see here on the left side of this chart, rates are above this range. And that's that kind of the railroad track looking thing. That's like the range currently with the repo rate and some other important rates that are their own horizontal line. But so the as long as the rates stay above the Fed raising rates, you know, that that's all the Fed needs to do. But once the rates disagree with the Fed, the Fed has no choice but either to lose face and continue raising rates or pause and pivot and follow the rates lower. And that's that's what I think they'll do in order to maintain confidence in the Fed, in order to maintain their mythology. That is what the Fed's monetary, that's their monetary policy tool is the Fed mythology and the Fed narrative and stuff like that. So yeah, that, that's about as much as I can tease it out, I guess. All right, let's move on. We got 30 more minutes. 30 minutes. I think we'll need 20 for the clips. So let's go to the next one. And this is Robin Brooks. I don't know exactly who this is, but I saw this on Twitter and being liked and retweeted by a bunch of people. So I like this chart too. And actually, Chris, I'm kind of, my noggin is taking up the part of the chart. If you could take us out of there, but this is showing the European gas contracts and their gas prices. And this is what it says. A lapse of European gas prices isn't about an abundance of gas. It's about a lack of storage. Nothing about the fall in gas prices, whether in the spot market, which is white on this chart, or the one year ahead, which is orange on this chart, makes things in February or next winter easier because they can't store all this cheap gas. So what this is at the end of last episode, if you guys go to last week and you go to the last like three minutes, we hit on this right here. And I say that what the European natural gas market looks like reminds me a lot of what's hap happened in April of 2020 with oil prices when there was just no place to deliver the oil. And so the, everybody had to sell. Everyone had to sell their futures contracts because nobody could take delivery. There was no place to accept delivery. So the price went negative. And we're seeing a very similar dynamic happening in European natural gas. If you go to the next slide, Chris, please. That is the one hour ahead natural gas price. I'm not exactly sure where this is, where Andreas Steno got this, but Andreas Steno who we interviewed several weeks ago, he posted this one. And actually, this is the Dutch natural gas futures spot price next hour for the European megawatt per hour price. However, he's doing this. But he said in this tweet, he said, whoops, it's gone negative. So as you can see, the prices are starting to go negative on, on all this. Okay, let's move along with these other charts here real quick. I do have some freight charts. So we've talked about shipping rates in the in the on the show here and they kind of show they give you a snapshot of what's happening kind of in supply chains this is the baltic dry index so this is the kind of average price for bulk dry goods that would be steel that would be probably iron ore or wheat or anything that doesn't go in those big 40 foot containers that you see on those container ships that's what this this shipping rate covers and you can see um it's come down dramatically i think it's 70 75% from the top, and it doesn't look like there's any sort of major bid. We have high, lower lows and lower highs. Next slide. This is the Freitos 40-foot container unit prices. And we started talking about this last year, or I think maybe at the beginning of this year when it was around 10,000. 
and now it's down at 3000 so it's also come down about 70% and this this chart specifically is from China to west coast US but you can find a very similar chart for China to east coast China to Europe wherever so these these container prices are dropping dramatically showing that there's some sort of normality returning at least in prices to the shipping sector so i think that's all i have here yep next up is china do you have anything on this ck on the last four charts we talked about european natural gas and about shipping hey guys this is q from bitcoin magazine live as the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of bitcoin and other digital assets moon mortgage will make it possible to materialize your assets in real estate through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investment in owner-occupied properties. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.io today to register your interest and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. Come celebrate Bitcoin Winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. One of the keys here is that a lot of the crazy prices really came from a result of policy decisions. So a really big reason why natural gas prices pumped was because going into potential war scenario with Russia and as that was developing, all of these European nations were like, holy crap, we need to fill our reserves now that we don't have a pipeline from Russia sending us the gas. So they filled up their reserves. So we talked about that with Andreas a month ago. And now there's ships just sitting outside filled with LNG, just trying to offload it and they can't. So obviously that creates chaos in markets that also, you know, policy is just going to shut down the American economy that created the negative prices in oil over here. And again, the freight in, in the freight early, the freight peak from China to the West coast, that again is a policy decision that drove those prices skyrocketing. So as the policy decisions kind of unfold, they create chaos. And hopefully we're work we're gonna move into a world where policy decisions can affect us all less. But the the ripple effects from these kind of macro things, like it takes years to play out. And we may be seeing it in US retail this year, tons of sales. Ansel's been calling this out for a while, but you know, there's way too much stock. I think Nike and their earnings report was talking about they're going to have to start liquidating in order to make room for next year. And they just had way too much stock. And that's just one example of chaos that's created through these policy decisions that really affect the market. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I just I wrote down here central planning, trying to solve the problems of central planning. So, I mean, that's what happened in Europe. They did some sanctions that was government intervention, and now they're trying to centrally plan their way out of just epic failure on both sides. So anyway, let's move on to the China stuff. I want to make sure we can get to this. And so, Chris, if you could queue up the first clip, let me just talk about talk this, about real, this real, real quick. Real quick. Real quick. It, it, oh, I'm, I'm sure. so, sorry, sorry, buddy. Sorry, man. Okay, real quick is this is Lei Real Talk YouTube channel, and she is a China expert, and she started looking at this thing that happened with Hu Jintao and how he was publicly purged, and she goes in in great detail on why she thinks this is a major thing and how the purging of Jintao fits exactly in with her other analysis that's going on. So I picked out three clips 
from this episode of her live stream to go through. I think it's very important for us to understand what's happening in China and see how bad it could get and how quickly it could get that bad. So, all right. Sorry, Chris. Now I'm ready. I'm ready for you, man. Let's talk about something that's very important, which is what did the CCP vote after Hu Jintao was removed? Right. It was the closing session of it was the closing session of the 20th Party Congress. In my mind, the most important thing is the party constitution amendments that Xi Jinping pushed. So they voted to pass three amendments, and it's worth spending some time to review what they are because it, it will, they will tell us the direction that China is going, going to. So the first is uh, it include the party constitution now include what Chinese say the two safeguarding and then the two establishment establishments. So it's it's a long CCP jargon. I'm not going to read it. You could read it. But basically, it just reaffirms Xi Jinping's core position within the party. It also reaffirms the, the authority he has within the party, right? It also reconfirms the, the Xi Jinping thoughts as the guiding I don't know, guiding wisdom of the party. And the reason this is important uh, for Xi Jinping to include this in the, in, the in the party constitution is that now if these things are added to the constitution, anyone who's against Xi Jinping, you're basically against the party. You know, the biggest crime that one could commit in China is to be against the party. That's like political crime number one. So by adding this amendment, he's basically he's basically making anyone who could possibly be opposing him to be anti-CCP. And that's a big crime. And the set you could watch my video on the that I released on October 18th, because that video is explained why, you know, adding these amendments to the constitution is very important to Xi Jinping. It's, it's a very detailed, I explained it very detailed in this video, you can watch it. So the second amendment is related to Taiwan. Okay, it added these verbiage. So it basically said, the conference refers to the, the party con uh, congress. So include the, basically the fighting spirit, fighting ability of the military and strengthening the military through political ideas and reforms. Through political ideas, it's hard to translate the language. Basically, it means that the party will guide the military, right? So any, any military development, any military reform must follow party guide, guideline, guidance. Like it has to be politically correct. So politics rule over military strategies. That's that's just what CCP, how CCP runs their military. And then it has added three adjectives. The, the one country to system principle is not new, but they added three adjectives comprehensively, accurately, and firmly. So these three adjectives is important to Xi Jinping because then he could interpret them however way he wanted. You know, so if these verbiage are in the party constitution, then if you he, he can, and he said, anytime if someone opposes his military strategy, he could say, well, this is not, this is not comprehensively implementing one country to system principle. Right? This is not accurately implementing one country to system principle. So these three adverbs give him the leeway to interpret his military strategy however way he however he sits, he sees fit. Okay. And then then, yeah, and then he has the, the Taiwan independence, the, the one country, two system, and the unification of the motherland, all of that added to the party constitution. So the fact that this is added makes me think that, you know, the Taiwan, the threat over Taiwan is serious. It is there. Okay, the third amendment he made is, is concerning the economy, the direction of the Chinese economy. Uh, again, common prosperity is mentioned and is added to the constitution. So uh, now, if you don't follow the direction of common prosperity, then you're really against the party. That's a big, big label to be imposed on anyone, right? So, and then 
it reiterated the internal market chain. It used the, the Chinese is 内循环. I don't even know how to translate that. It's like basically it, it will focus its entire development model will be based on an internal or domestic supply demand cycle. It's it's not going to rely on as the main support for the for the economy. And then the mutually reinforcing domestic and international market cycle or chain is only a supplement. So you see, it's going to focus on its domestic huan, do, domestic supply and demand. It, it, will, it tries to cut the tie from the outside world and just be self-sufficient. I think that's the underlying message. So again, by adding this to the party constitution, I think it sends a very strong message to everyone. You know, this is the e economic direction that Xi Jinping has for China for the future, at least for the next five years. By common prosperity, it's really going back to the planned economy. I think people say this is a very clear message that China is steering away from a market economy and is going back to a planned economy. All right. All right. So just to recap there, Xi Jinping is the is the CCP now. Taiwan is an increased interest, and they're going to put more weight on domestic economy over exports and over international trade and turn insular. So those are added to the constitution now. And I thought that was very interesting. CK, do you have any reaction to that? So I don't... I think that's pretty clear, you know, why as free market advocates, we see this as very dangerous. I want to like zoom out even more and talk about how this shows that being able to change the constitution, change consensus, if you will, easily is a bad thing. And, and, and that's, I think is a superiority of the American system, even against, you know, other Western systems is that it's very hard to kind of change the, the protocol. And I think Bitcoin is rooted in that same wisdom, which is that uh, easy change, easily being able to label someone as a criminal against the party, all, all those kind of things, even if there's consensus around that in the moment, it, it's not a good thing. And I think from a first principles basis, a markets basis, I think, you know, we are seeing the, the demise and decline of China right in front of us. Through, you know, you can call it narcissistic or communistic or whatever, whatever activity is happening at the top, you know, the centralized decision making is starting to go wrong. Yeah, awesome. The I was thinking the other day that the Constitution, I think I said this on a live stream, that the Constitution, the way we amend our Constitution is kind of like a soft fork, you know, where the, the Chinese way is kind of the hard fork way to amend it. So that's. That's interesting that you observe the same sort of thing. All right, let's go on to the next clip because this these are longer than normal. Apologies. Hey, great guys. information, though. Like, great, yeah. great context. Absolutely. And this one was like, wow, for me. So it gets really good. She, like, builds up through this and really is hard hitting in the last minute of this clip. So, Chris, can you pull up the next one? Uh, this is the guy. This is the guy who heads up the CCP's Central Policy Research Office, uh, and this his name is Jiang Jinquan. He replaced Wang Huning in 2020, and this organization, Central Policy Research Office, is said to be the the Xi Jinping's brain, shall we say, or the or the 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 organizations like his his advisor, his political advisor, his policy advisor, right? His, his great ideas or supposedly great ideas come from this organization. So this guy, Jiang Jinquan, is his lead advisor, okay? And this guy, in, in a recent interview during the 20th Party Congress, has basically made a comment. I don't know if I have it here. Maybe I have it in Chinese. I'll, I'll read it to you. He basically said what Xi Jinping has, a, has accomplished in the past 10 years is similar to the what Junyi Conference and the 11th Party Congress, the third session of the 11th Party Congress have accomplished. So he made an analogy between 
Xi Jinping's accomplishment to these two major events that happened in the history of the CCP. I want to talk a little bit about the Zhengyi Conference, January 1935. It was the event that established Mao Zedong as the CCP leader. At that point, you know, she, the, the Red Army was on the brink of being totally defeated. They were well, they, they were on the what they call the long march. It was basically a, a devastating point where they were on the on the brink of total collapse. But there was a meeting held at Zhengyi and at that meeting it was uh, there was a, a huge power struggle. Basically Mao Zedong beat it out the other leader who was backed by the Soviet Communist Party by the Russian Communist Party and became the top leader. So that event in January 1905 established Mao Zedong's leadership within the CCP. And then the 11th Party Congress, the third session of the 11th Party Congress in December 1978 established Deng Xiaoping's leadership. And that was also the official end of the Cultural Revolution. And it's also the starting point of the economic reforms. So when this guy, when Xi Jinping's top advisor, lead advisor, made analogy to say what Xi Jinping has done in the past 10 years, or the accomplishment, his accomplishment is similar to the accomplishment of these two uh, events, is he's basically saying, I want to read his quote. Uh, he's saying, here we go. Oh, here it is. He's saying he, he's saying the the 18th Party Congress, which was Xi Jinping's first Party Congress, corrected, re-steered this party and then the country back to the correct direction. He said, Mao Zedong in 1935 saved the party at the crucial moment. And then Deng Xiaoping saved the party from collapsing economically, also at a crucial moment in 1978. So he basically he's implying that Xi Jinping also saved the party 10 years ago, or at least steer the, the party and the country back to the right course. And that's kind of the 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 political the political direction the framework i should say the political framework that that's going to be the basis for xi jinping's next 5 years he is basically sent clearly saying the the economic reform was not wrong in the beginning when deng xiaoping started but in the last 20 years or the 20 years before he came to power during Hu Jintao and Jiang Zemin's time, it got sidetracked or it, it went off in the wrong direction. And to save, and it caused serious crisis within the Communist Party. And when he came on board, he steered the party or he's trying to steer the party back to the right course. So that's, and he's doing that to save the, the regime from, collab from collapse. So that's what his his whole argument. So I think what we will see is after the party congress, I think he will take down more Jiang Zemin's people. I think more people from the Jiang faction will be taken down. He will China will become a more closed society. The economy will return to a planned economy. And basically, to summarize, China will become a supersized North Korea or is on track to become a supersized North Korea. So this is what what I have seen based on. All right. All right. Yeah. So there to summarize, she said that this guy compared Xi Jinping to these other parts of history of the CCP where they're on verge of collapse and they were saved by these these events and that Xi Jinping is now saving the CCP once again from collapse, which is very interesting. And then in her, at the end, what her conclusion was, is that it's going to be a closed society. There was going to be more purges and that it was going to become China could become a supersized North Korea. And that last quote, supersized North Korea, just like struck me as, wow, man, imagine if that happens and how fast that happens, it's uh, it's going to be crazy. What are your thoughts on that last clip? 
I mean, it really kind of puts things into perspective. We're already seeing these crazy images of just Chinese people queuing up in massive lines to get COVID tested. So that way they can get their green badge so they can even enter their home. Like we're seeing just young men and women sleeping on the streets because they didn't pass protocol. Like that is moving in a insane direction, very much closer to how North Korea operates than how any other market-based, liberty-based, you know, org- country or jurisdiction operates. So, you know, I'm, I'm very interested to see how it plays out. But, you know, effectively, you know, this is, and you can see in, in the, the amendments that she goes over in the first video, like they're sweeping the leg on the entire strategy here. Yep. Yep, exactly. All right, we're running real close on time. We have one more clip that's three minutes. Do we got time for that? Yes, let's do it. it. All right, let's do it. it. How do you see China maintaining their place as second largest economy by becoming isolationist or reclusive? Will they be able to maintain it? Rather, do they intend to maintain second spot? Economy is secondary to Xi Jinping. It's not that important to him. Having prevented the regime from from collapse, collapse, is more important. I always say the China we see from the outside is different from the China these CCP leaders see. Everything we see is has been beautified, has been massaged. The data is massaged. Things that they don't want us to know are not revealed. So the, the, the dire situation, the dire reality in China is much more serious than, than, than the outside world can see. And, and there was also a, a discussion. So why should people say, well, how could Xi Jinping hold on to power when so many people are against him, right? How could he hold on to power indefinitely? What happened to all the other smart Chinese who, you know, who don't like him? He has, he has so many people who are not happy. One reason is corruption. The corruption is such a widespread epidemic that people don't have the determination. I mean, the only people who are strong enough to oppose him are the people who really care about the future of China, are the people who really about, care about Chinese people, right? Only those people have the determination and the courage to be against a dictator like him, to be against the system. All the other CCP officials, they're corrupt. They want to live a good life. They have all the money. Somewhere in Swiss account or in the US, they have their families and children living somewhere else in the world. Why do they want to be opposing a system that has given them everything, right? And if they do that, then Xi Jinping's anti-corruption knife could be, could fall on them. So they don't, you know, they are corrupt. So that's why, Nobody, you know, is really, you know, taking the chance to oppose him. So to answer your question, economy is not important to him. He wants to hold on to power. He, he wants the communist model to be successful. He wants to, he, he, he truly believes in this model. He truly believes in communism is the best model for, for the world. And he wants, he wants to hold on to power. He wants this model to work and he wants to roll that out to the world, to the rest of the world, because that's really the, the essence of what the communist ideology is. All right. So there she got, she did some Q and a, and just to recap. So she said that G does not care about the economy. It's a far distant second place. And to put that in perspective with the, the how she said that they view G as saving the party from collapse, it just seems like the time is running out on this era of China. And people are starting to see it. I've noticed it in tweets. I've noticed it in other places where people are like, oh my God, I didn't realize that China was so Marxist and that this this was close to collapse. And now now everyone's starting to see that. So CK, any reaction to this final clip? 
I mean, you, you've been on top of this for a long time when people were saying China, China is a rising power. Even Ray Dalio, just a few months ago, you've been calling out that no, it's not, and markets will prevail. That's honestly, in hindsight, sounds like common sense. But yeah, yeah they're, they're in a bad spot. And throughout all three videos, it was not about what is good for China. It was all about what is good for the CCP. So they're corrupt and their system may be... They believe in it, but ultimately, you know, see the incentives that are in system is just good for the CCP and they're optimizing for the CCP and they're not optimizing for what is good for the country of China. Excellent. Yeah, go. Everybody should go and check out her channel, Lay Real Talk. Of course, I'll link it in the show notes in whatever write up that I do for this episode. So uh, go give her a subscribe over on her channel. And that's all I have today. CK, should we wrap it up? Yes, sir. Great show once again. Y'all, this is where the real macro signal is. We're talking about what is happening in the real world with Bitcoin in mind, obviously. To everyone watching, please like and subscribe. We are coming at you every single Wednesday with this content. The Bitcoin Magazine live team is coming at you every day, every weekday with amazing signal. And yeah, make sure to follow me on Twitter at CK underscore snarks. Make sure to get your Bitcoin conference ticket. Bitcoin 23, May 18th through the 20th in Miami Beach is going to be absolutely incredible. I'll be there. Hopefully Ansel shows up. BM live for 10% off. Obviously, Chris, thank you for the, for the, for the note. And Ansel, where yes. can people find you? Why don't you close this out? Yeah, shout out to Chris, the producer in the background, playing all the clips and getting all the slide deck going. So appreciate that. Guys, if you want to check out the slide deck, if you're listening to this on audio, check out, go to Bitcoin Magazine and you can find all the articles written by Ansel Lindner. And then I will be up there. All my podcast show notes will be in there for you guys to look at all the charts and stuff. So anyway, yeah, follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner. Check out my telegram t.me forward slash Bitcoin and markets. I live stream five days a week over there. And that's it. Thanks guys for joining. What is up audio listeners? Thank you for enjoying another episode of FedWatch. Down in the show notes, you will find all the appropriate links to our social media, the original version of this podcast and community links. Also check out Bitcoin and where I put out a free weekly newsletter every Friday. And there you can also help support the show by signing up to become a paid member. See you next time. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. The censorship resistant issue of the Bitcoin Magazine print edition is available now. Grab your copy at your local Barnes & Noble store or head on over to the Bitcoin Magazine store and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your order today.